Well, today is the last sermon in our Becoming Who You Already Are series. You know, we've been working our way through Paul's letter to the Ephesians since last October. And in the very first sermon of that series, I talked about how we tend to vastly underestimate just how good the good news of Jesus really is. You know, it's easy to slip into living as though we're on our own, isn't it? I mean, it really is. Uh, or to give in to that feeling that we just don't measure up, that God's always maybe just a little disappointed in us. But I think we underestimate just how much God loves us, you know, how much he's always here for us, how, how much we can trust him, how much we can depend on him, and how much he's already done in us. You know, we live because we underestimate these things, we live without the kind of confident expectation of good that if you think about it, really only makes sense for us. And as a result, we live lives or we can live lives that fall far short of the joy and the peace and, and the purpose that are all ours in Christ. And one area in particular where I think it's easy for us to live lives that fall short of everything Jesus has done for us is in that area of what has traditionally been called spiritual warfare. On the one hand, sometimes it seems as though we live as though we're totally unaware that we really do have a spiritual enemy. Yet we listen to every voice that speaks to us and, and subject ourselves to the lies and the accusation and the, the shame that gets heaped on us as if we had no choice. But we do have a choice right? Do we have a choice? We do have a choice. We can listen to God's voice, you know, and reject the voice of Satan in whatever form it comes to us. That's what I spoke about last week. And so if you, if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to listen to that podcast. But on the other hand, sometimes it seems as, as though we live as if we are totally unaware of just how thoroughly Jesus has defeated Satan on the cross. We live with this picture of what we think spiritual warfare must look like that's shaped by something other than Jesus. And that's what I think today's final passage in Ephesians on the armor of God can help us with. So that's what I'm going to talk about. Are you ready? Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that you're here, that you're with us, that you love us. And uh, we just invite you now to speak to us. Uh, through your word, we open ourselves to you, Holy Spirit, and invite you to be at work in our lives, um, touch our minds, touch our hearts, and uh, draw us more deeply into your love this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to read to you uh, the two verses that I read last week to begin. This is Ephesians 6, 10 and 12, 10 to 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Spiritual warfare. You know, that's a term that is actually not found in the Bible anywhere. But it is 
one way, not the only way, but one way of describing what these verses are talking about. And when we use the term spiritual warfare, I, I think that often creates an image in our mind, maybe subconsciously, but I think it's there, uh, an image in our imaginations that has a feel something like this video clip that we're going to watch. isn't something one considers when balancing the universe. But this <laughs> does put a smile on my face. Right? Spiritual warfare. <laughs> Was it good? Good. Now, I know that we don't think that spiritual warfare is really about superheroes battling supervillains, or at least I hope not. But a couple of things in that film trailer struck me as being a pretty accurate description of how I think spiritual warfare is often imagined. Like in the film, I think we tend to imagine our spiritual enemy to be incredibly powerful and someone we need to be afraid of. You know, whether we think that consciously or not, I think that's often there. You know, if we start talking about Satan and demons and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, we can get pretty freaked out, right? And secondly, in the film, the violence of the enemy is fought using more violence on the part of the superheroes. Better motives, to be sure, but essentially the same kind of violent methods. The end justifies the means, after all, right? So we imagine spiritual warfare as us learning to use a kind of force, a kind of power, a kind of, of violence, even in our prayers, that will crush the enemy. But is that really what Paul's encouraging us to do in Ephesians 6. Like I said last week, the scriptures make it clear that we do have an enemy. In the Bible, he's usually called the Satan or the devil. And exactly who or what this Satan is, the Bible doesn't clearly say. But it does make it clear that the Satan is evil, that he is the source behind all of the sin, the sickness, the brokenness in our world, and Satan is intent on destroying everything in God's good creation. The rulers and authorities and cosmic powers mentioned in Ephesians seem to refer to both evil spiritual powers aligned with Satan and to the human rulers and authorities and systems which these spiritual powers influence. So we do have an enemy. That enemy impacts this world. It impacts our lives. But what I find interesting as we delve into what the Bible has to say about this evil spiritual kingdom is what is missing and what it is missing as it talks about how we're to face it too. And what's missing in the Bible 
is any sense of fear or panic or anxiety. What's missing is any sense that we need to pump ourselves up in order to fight fire with fire. Instead, we are calmly told to put on the armor of God so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil, so that we can simply stand. Paul then goes on to say this in the next uh, few verses, starting in verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given us or given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Stand, therefore, he says. Well, every year in uh, March or so, Lisa and I go to the national leadership team uh, meeting for the Vineyard Churches around the U.S., Vineyard USA Churches. And Phil Strout, who's the national director, that's Phil there, uh, for the Vineyard, always uses that meeting to talk about what he feels God is saying to us as a family of churches. You know, what's God doing in us? You know, where is he taking us? What does God want us to be doing now in the vineyard? Well, a few years back, Phil shared how a lot of people had been asking him, what's the new thing that God's talking to you about? You know, they were asking, what's the latest and the greatest thing that God has for us? And it started to really bug Phil when they asked him this. It started to irritate him every time the question came up. So Phil prayed about, you know, why is this bugging me? And he felt like God clearly told him that it's because we don't need to be looking for the next new thing, right? That's a distraction. God's up to the same thing that he's always been up to. And that's what he wants us to be up to as well. Sharing the good news of the kingdom and helping people come to know Jesus and receive God's love and grow his disciples. Making all of that practical in our everyday lives. Growing as people who worship God, love with his love, serve with his grace. You know, back in verse 11, we're told to put on the whole armor of God. Not so that we can fight against the devil, but so we can stand against his schemes or his wiles, as it's translated in other versions. You know, the devil's tricky. He has schemes. He has wiles. He's wily. Most people aren't going to embrace what they know is blatantly evil. At least not most of the time. But we're enticed into doing what's damaging to ourselves and to others by the devil's deceptive schemes. Well, that word schemes is a translation of the Greek word methodius, from which we get the word methods. 
Now, you don't usually see a method. You only see what it accomplishes. You see the results of the method, what it produces. So if a method gets us what we want, we might not pay that much attention to the method. And we think the method doesn't matter all that much. The end justifies the means, right? So if we want people to buy our product, maybe we ignore the fact that our advertising is less than totally honest. Or if we want people to give more money to the church, which is a good case in case you're not sure, a good, a good thing in case you're not sure, maybe we overlook the fact that we're using guilt to manipulate them. Or if we want to put an end to terrorism, maybe we believe we have to use evil methods like torture. Now, some of the devil's methods are pretty obvious. All of the common temptations toward immorality and greed, for instance, and all the other forms of selfishness that we all struggle with in one way or another. But lots of times, the devil's methods are much more subtle. They appear harmless. They even appear good to us. And they may even seem to produce good things, at least at first. It's just like people asking Phil, what is the new thing that God is up to? I mean, that sounds like such a spiritual question, doesn't it? Um, and it might even get people engaged in, in kinds of religious activity, but underlying it is this sense of anxiety, this sense of, of restlessness, a, a fear of missing out on the next great thing. And it can end up distracting us from what really matters most. Still with me? You're looking really quiet today out there. Okay, keep hanging there. What I've observed over the years is that it's easy for the way we approach spiritual warfare to get infected with the methods of the devil. Isn't that tricky? And one way I've seen it happen a lot is when fear gets mixed in with what we're doing. Like when we think we need to pray just the right prayer, using just the right words and right amount of passion so that we and our families and our belongings and whatever else matters to us will be protected from the enemy. Because we're afraid that if we don't pray just right, they won't be, right? It's rooted in fear. Or when we're praying for the government or for our country or for our neighborhoods or for the church, which are all good things to be praying for, but we're doing it with an almost hopeless attitude. We're doing it because we think that whatever we're praying for is under this relentless assault of the enemy. We're praying prayers, again, that are rooted in fear. And inevitably, that attitude then carries over to how we live and how we see other people. It creates this us-against-them mentality where the government or the Republicans or the Democrats or the media or some other group is the them the enemy we have to fear and protect ourselves from and maybe even fight against. But real spiritual warfare isn't rooted in fear because the good news of Jesus is that the kingdom of God has come. Amen? It really has. The world and everything in it is not up for grabs. The darkness is not winning no matter how things might appear. 
Now, we do have an enemy, but that enemy is not other people, and the enemy has already been defeated by Jesus on the cross. A new world was birthed on the day that Jesus rose from the dead. That's the good news. Everything changed that day. In this new world, all authority has been given to Jesus, and Jesus has given that authority to us in his church. Now, I know there's all sorts of evil out there, right? There's still plenty of sin and sickness and cruelty and injustice in this world. The kingdom of God has not come completely yet. But that's why we're here, right? That's why we're here. That's a big part of why we're called together to be the church, to join God in his work of bringing his kingdom to this world in practical ways. Because the darkness is on the run, not us, right? The darkness is on the run, not us. Evil is on the defensive, not us. One of my favorite quotes from John Wimber, who's the father of our vineyard uh, movement of churches here, comes from when he was talking about spiritual warfare. He said, if you walk into a dark room, you don't have to shout at the darkness. You don't have to fight against the darkness, right? You just turn on the light. You just turn on the light. And I'd take that even one step further. When we walk into the darkness of this world, we are the light. That's what Jesus said, right? Because we're in Christ, and he's the light that has come into this world. Now we are the light of this world. You are the light of the world. And the darkness doesn't quench the light. That's what we need to get hold of. The light always lights up the darkness. I have never walked into a dark room, flipped on the light, and the darkness like swallowed up the light. That doesn't happen. It goes the other way around. The light always overcomes the darkness. Well, that's the understanding, the attitude with which we approach what we call spiritual warfare. And it's, it's the way we interact with the world, too. This is what must shape the methods that we use. Not fear, not anxiety, not suspicion, not a need to somehow power up and crush the enemy to protect ourselves. Those are the methods of the devil. And the methods of the devil will never produce the light of God, no matter how well intentioned they are. Instead, Paul tells us, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand. So what does that mean? Well, in his book, Practice Resurrection, Eugene Peterson quotes another famous author, G.K. Chesterton, who observed that Christians, in relation to all that is evil around us, are either crustaceans or vertebrates. Crustaceans or vertebrates. Now, for those of you who weren't really paying attention in high school biology, shame on you, you should have been. It should have been your favorite class. But if you weren't, uh, crustaceans are creatures like lobsters and shrimp which have shells on the outside of their body that function as their skeletons, while on the inside, they are soft and vulnerable. Hard on the outside, soft and vulnerable on the inside. Vertebrates, on the other hand, are creatures like lions and elephants and bunnies and us, humans, who have hard skeletons hidden on the inside of their bodies, and it is the outside of us that is soft and vulnerable, right? 
Hard on the inside, soft on the outside. It's not difficult to recognize which is the higher form of life, humans or shrimp, right? <laughs> but often, we tend to view the armor of God as something that we have to put on on the outside as a hard shell like a crustacean to protect us from everything that is evil. We don't want the pain or the suffering or the evil in this world to touch us. We don't want it to touch our lives. We want God to shield us from all of that so that we can be happy and prosperous and above all, comfortable. We think we're pretty capable of standing on our own. We just want some armor to protect our vulnerable areas. So we want to believe the right things, do the right things, pray the right prayers so that God will shield us from the pain of this world. We certainly don't want to be vulnerable. We want to be like the Avengers, guarded by our superpower armor, battling the forces of wickedness and looking really cool doing it. Amen? <laughs> no. Hard on the outside with our soft, vulnerable innards hidden and well-protected crustacean Christians. Or we can do what Paul is actually calling us to in this passage and be vertebrate Christians. Paul's talking about letting the armor of God, which means the armor that belongs to God. In other words, God's methods, God's traits, God's characteristics shape who we are as people. As Peterson puts it, this is about receiving, about internalizing, letting our lives be shaped by the life of the Trinity so that the truth and the righteousness and the peace and the faith and the salvation and the good news of the kingdom defines who we are as people and as a result, how we live as well. This isn't just about doing this is about being. It's about becoming who we already are in Christ. Be a vertebrate Christian. Grow as a vertebrate Christian. That's how you put on the armor of God. See, this is the thing about metaphors in the scriptures, like the armor of God in this case. If you take them too literally, you can miss the point. See, if we think the armor is just about something we need to put on on the outside, like a Roman soldier's armor in the metaphor, so that you're protected from evil, well, then what you're really doing is you're operating out of fear. I need this armor to keep me safe. You're succumbing in that way to the devil's methods, and that won't produce in you the life of God. Be a vertebrate, Christian. The nuclear submarine thresher had a heavy steel bulkheads and, and heavy steel armor, so it could, it could dive deep and withstand the pressure of the ocean. Unfortunately, on a test run, 1963, the thresher's nuclear engine quit, and it could not get back to the surface. So it sank deeper and deeper into the ocean. The pressure became immense. The heavy steel bulkheads buckled. The thresher was crushed with 129 people inside. Huge tragedy. The Navy searched for the thresher with a research craft that was much stronger than submarines. It was shaped like a steel ball and lowered down into the ocean on a cable. 
And they finally located the thresher at a depth of 8,400 feet, one and a half miles down. And it was crushed like an eggshell. And that wasn't a surprise because the pressure at that depth is tremendous. It's 3,600 pounds per square inch. The submarine couldn't withstand it. What was surprising to the searchers was that they saw fish at that great depth. And these fish did not have inches of steel to protect them. You know, they appeared to have normal skin, just a, a fraction of an inch thick. So how can these fish survive under all that pressure? How come they're not crushed by the weight of the water? Well, they have a secret. The secret is that they have the same pressure inside themselves as the water on the outside. So they're not crushed. That's how they survive under pressure. When 1 John 4, John is writing about a type of spiritual warfare, and he tells us, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. You've overcome the enemy. For he who is in you is what? Greater than he who's in the world. He who's in you is greater than he who's in the world. See, those fish survive at the bottom of the ocean because the pressure inside of them is equal to the pressure outside of them. John is telling us that God in us isn't just equal to the forces of wickedness outside of us. He's greater. Simply by being who we already are, not giving in to fear, standing on and trusting in God who is within us, we don't just survive, we push back the darkness around us. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. No anxiety, no fear, you know, no sense of needing to power up and crush the enemy. Just stand in who you already are in Christ. Be a vertebrate Christian. See, that's how we stand, right? With our vertebrae, our backbone. Without an internal skeleton, you know, we'd be just flopping around all over the place. You know, those things they blow up, used for promos like this. Adam's really good at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So put on the armor of God. In other words, let God in you define you and transform you and shape you and strengthen you from within, and then stand. In that book, Practice Resurrection, Peterson writes that when we understand the armor of God in this way, it totally demilitarizes the metaphor. You know, when Jesus went around casting out demons, he was never combative. You never see him using physical or even verbal violence. He didn't shout at the demons or at the demonized people. And he certainly never operated out of any kind of fear or anxiety. He never succumbed to any of the devil's methods. When Jesus defeated Satan on the cross, he didn't do it through violence. He didn't defeat Satan with force. He defeated Satan by laying down his life in love and by offering us unconditional grace and forgiveness. That's how he pushed back the darkness. And Jesus is our model of spiritual warfare. Jesus is our model for how to live. Be a vertebrate Christian. 
That still leaves us with a question, though, of just exactly then, how do we put on the armor of God? What does that actually mean? I mean, so it's an internal skeleton, not an external shell. That's great. But how do we put it on? And this is where I go back to what Phil Strout said. This isn't something new and exciting to learn here. There isn't some secret to be revealed that will instantly transform your life. There is just the day in, day out, one step at a time, walking with Jesus. You know, we describe a vertebrate Christian here as someone who worships God and loves with his love and serves with his grace. The way we become that kind of person is by day by day, week after week, worshiping God, loving with his love, and serving with his grace, right? We become it by doing it, by being it. So worship God. You'll be here every Sunday that you can. Talk to God every day in prayer. Listen to what he says to you. Read your Bible. And love with his love. You practice treating people and speaking to people and speaking about other people the same way Jesus would do it. And when you don't do that, ask for forgiveness and serve with his grace. Never stop growing in generosity with your time, your talents, and your money. Worship God, love with his love, serve with his grace. You know, one step at a time, day after day, we walk with Jesus in that way. That is how in our lives we put on the armor of God. That's how we conduct spiritual warfare so that we can live as the light of the world that we are. That's how you live as a vertebrate Christian. Amen? Amen.